welcome to the What I Wish I'd Known podcast, brought to you by three 30-something Instagrammers who are sharing the things that we wish we had known. Basically, talking to our younger selves and trying to make change happen. So I am Jo from Labella Loves underscore Jo. I'm Jess from the Fat Funny One. And I'm Lauren from the Parenting Chapter. So through our weekly podcast, we're going to be tackling new topics and new issues, often with the help of an expert guest, because quite frankly, I say this every week, we haven't really got a clue. We don't know. Not really. No, not cold. <laughs> so we're going to try together to impart our life lessons and the things that we wish we'd known. So it's really important to start every episode with a huge caveat that we're in no way experts, are we girls? Not really. No. no. no and But also we're definitely not mental health experts. So if there's anything that comes up, and particularly today's episode, which is, is quite a, there's quite a lot in there. Um, could be a bit triggering to people. If you feel triggered by anything that is said um, or you feel like you need to go and talk to someone, please go see your GP. And we're also going to, as always, put some mental health um, resources in the show notes. So please go check that out. But we really, really strongly believe that when um, women shut, well, anybody, but when we share our stories openly and honestly, that's when change starts to happen. So with that in mind, this week's guest is... Michelle from... We're always going to get scarred, not scared. Scarred, not scared. Scarred, not scared. I have followed her for some time, so I'm really, really excited to talk all things kind of mental health, body confidence, mm. body positivity with her. She has had a crazy journey. She um, has had a, an, an amazing life. journey. Yeah, and she has an incredible book as well called Am I Ugly? Um, but I'm really looking forward to finding out a little bit more. Me too. Yeah, she's a wise one. She's a wise woman, and I can't wait to hear what she has to say. Michelle. Hi. Hello. Right, so we've got Michelle from... Scar Not Scared. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for being here. I have followed you for a long time. Um, I think we thank noticed you. the other day when I saw you the other yeah. day, I was like, oh my God, Michelle's here. <laughs> At an event, um, and then looked at my DMs and I'd like slid into your DMs like a year and a half ago. Um, <laughs> going, I love you so much. Good stalking. Um, you've got an incredible story. So just start. Tell us how you kind of have got to where you are. What's your journey? Go for it. Cool. So I started Scar Not Scared because I am covered in surgery scars on my ankles, on my head, on my stomach mainly is the most visible area. Um, and they're from 15 surgeries, a brain tumour, a punctured intestine, an obstructed bowel, a cyst in my brain, and I live with a condition called hydrocephalus. And whilst that sounds really overwhelming, and I'm told I read it like a grocery list. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, all of our jaws have just gone. Yeah, and but, like people are like, you're, it's like you're listening, like, I'm going to get apples and oranges. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but I say, like, this has now become my introduction because yeah. of my campaign. Um, and as much as it sounds overwhelming, it is my life. Like, yeah. it's the only life I've known that is my experience um, and even growing up I never really thought going to hospital was abnormal and I remember there was a moment when I was 21 um, and uh, one of my friends was a medical student and he needed to do like some practice tests and he was like can I like um, practice uh what was it called? The bedside manner test um, on that. you. So, I that. so he was practicing it on me and my housemates. And one of my housemates goes like, "Oh, what's this?" Holding up his stethoscope. And I remember this. There was a moment where I was like, "I'm 21 years old," and for the first time, I realised kids don't grow up knowing what a stethoscope is. Yeah. Like, she's 21, she doesn't know what a stethoscope is. But like, 
I knew that at seven. Like, wow. And it's kind of realising that's a difference in reality. And um, that's why I started Scar Not Scared was because I grew up really insecure about my scars. I thought the solution around it was to not talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, through university, I started talking about it for the first time. At the end of university, I got PTSD. And then... Um, Basically, I eventually became confident around my scars, but not just my scars, like my body, because I'd gained weight throughout my teenage years um, and became a life coach. And then when I was a qualified life coach for about six months, I decided to specialise in body confidence and um, found myself in the middle of the body positivity movement, which wasn't a commonly known word. This was back in 2014. Yeah. And so my body confidence coaching very much came alongside my knowledge and education of the body positivity movement and how those two are slightly different. So you're, that's not seven. Seven's young. Like, no, was one. It before? So one. I started oh having surgeries when I was one years old. Um, wow. So I had about, I was trying to figure this out the other day, but I think about six surgeries by the age of two. Um, and then one surgery at seven five surgeries at 11 and two surgeries at 19. All I know is altogether it adds up to 15, but I never get oh it right. My oh my gosh. And have you got any siblings? Yes. And did they have a similar experience to you or was this just... Well, so, uh, no, my, my siblings are both, for lack of a better word, healthy. <laughs> um, but they, they both have... I mean, my brother had his tonsils removed once. Yeah. Like, that's so it's, like, it's just quite a very isolated, normal yeah. kind of experience. Exactly. Wow. Um, and I think the main thing with my siblings is the fact that every time I had to go into hospital, it had to be in a different country because there was so little understanding around my condition at the time. Oh, wow. Um, that I went to America to have my surgeries and I lived in Hong Kong at the time. So... With my siblings, it was mainly around the fact that, like, any time I had surgery, it was like yeah. parents were divided across yeah. the world. Yeah. and It's a really big thing. Yeah. And you, you mentioned, because what unites the three of us anyway is is lived experience with mental health. And yeah. you, um, obviously, that could be and will have been an enormously traumatic um thing to have lived with and you mentioned that you had PTSD was that yeah. from the PTSD was that from the whole trauma of yeah so of kind what of as I mentioned you? I didn't um I didn't talk about anything mm-hmm. so when I was 21 and I was sitting in the middle of a psychology lecture I was a psychology student in my final year and they started talking about um cli- so physical health but like a psychologist in a physical health situation yes so for example, if you had cancer, you'd be sent a psychologist. Mm. Or if you're having chemotherapy, you'd be sent a psychologist. Yeah, yeah. That kind of situation, which basically was my situation. Mm. And I remember they said the words, um, the main the main two things you're going to come up with is one, like you're uh, going to face every day, is one, people are going to say, well, I'm not crazy, I don't need a psychologist because mm. they've not gone to a psychologist, mm-hmm. they're being sent one. And the second thing, that they'll... Um, like have an issue around is why is this happening to me and both those things were things I asked myself but never vocalized and it was almost like if like in that moment I just had like flashbacks like really quick Um, so triggering I just compare it to like a roller decks where like and it's funny because at the beginning of the lecture series like there were 12 lectures or whatever they said this lecture series can be really triggering if you ever feel like you need to leave the room leave the room 
Um, but I was in the middle of a, a row, so I couldn't leave anywhere. <gasps> Physically, so, you can't yeah. get out. And um, I was, like, crying, but I wouldn't move my head from side to side because I was, like, I was sitting next to two friends. I was, like, yeah. I didn't want them to see, but the lecturer saw me, like, streaming down my face, and she was just kind of staring at me being, like, do I go help her? But then yeah. she clearly doesn't want anyone to notice. Um, and I truly believe it's because that happened because... I was surrounded with so much, um, I mean, I call it positive propaganda, (laughs) but positive messaging as a child, like you've got to stay positive, like, because there's this mentality around, if you're ill, you have to stay positive in order to keep healing, that I wasn't allowed uh, the permission to be angry, to be sad, to be any, all the other emotions. And I genuinely don't think I would have had Mm. PTSD if someone had just been able to be like, you can cry and get yeah. it out yeah yes. and some the problem was anytime I cried what was told to me is you're losing potassium you need to stop crying oh my gosh, um, gosh. because that was like it actually creates a like I think like medically or like biologically it's yeah. not good for you to cry like it does affect your body but mentally it's amazing to yeah. cry yeah. and bottling it up is not good I mean I had P- I have PTSD as well yeah uh, very very different situation but it, it's a very weird process then to go through because getting it out, and I don't know what therapy you had, but um, I had EMDR, and it's all old trauma coming out of you, and you just wish you kind of been given permission to do yeah. that at the time. I mean, also, cause... and that's, I mean, to be told basically you can't for your health, yeah, is and also because, difficult. um. It was it was a very much mental. So that on top of the fact that I had massive survivor's guilt. So for people who don't know, survivor's guilt is like if you go through anything, it could be like a war or in mm. my case surgery. I witnessed a lot of children dying in hospital because I was in what Americans call the intensive care unit, mm-hmm. um, and so that's like one nurse per person. That's how extreme like the people in yeah. mm-hmm. the children in the ward are, um, and so. Basically, if someone's likely to die in the hospital, you're likely to die in the ICU. So I was witnessing all of that. And so what survivor's guilt is, is like, why did I survive and why didn't they? Um, And I've got full body goosebumps. Yeah. And that's I think that's what's so I'm listening to you. And I think even as an adult, I couldn't process that, let alone being 11 or eight. So also that's so scary. The problem with 11 is the fact you don't don't also have the language for it. Like there was no one to be like, I couldn't I didn't know the word guilty. Like I did kind of, but I didn't know the meaning of it. So I couldn't even label the things I was feeling. Um, But with survivor's guilt, it's also this thing of suddenly I was 11 years old and being like, well, why do I have a right to be alive? Mm. And who in their life, like apart from people who go through PTSD or survivor's guilt, actually thinks they have to earn the right to life and at 11 years old? Um, And so that was the thing I was really struggling with is like, why have I survived? Okay, and now everyone's telling me everything happens for a reason, which is a sentence I heard all the time. And when you're 11, you don't take it as how it's intended. How you take it is... There's a reason I caused this. Yeah. Yes. Was it because I was angry at my brother? Was it because I didn't drink mm. enough milk? Because now used to always be like, drink your milk. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, that's your tw- 11-year-old brain being like, how, what did I do? Yeah. And so, I mean, there aren't many 11-year-olds in the world who get, become determined that they want to be a psychologist, which was the initial, I'm a life coach, but like, because I basically didn't want to do the master's or PhD. <laughs> um, but 
that was like what 11 year old wants to be a psychologist it was because I was like I need a reason everything happens for a reason so let's find a reason I'm going to be a psychologist and make my life count for all the many lives that were lost that's a lot on young shoulders isn't it when you think about it and did you I suppose you probably didn't communicate it to your parents or have you since communicated those things the only thing I did communicate was I wanted to be a psychologist and I would say that over and over again I was like I want to be a psychologist I met a psychologist in hospital with a bad experience um, where she diagnosed me with temper tantrums the day (gasps) after I found out about my brain tumour oh my god at 11 (laughs) But then I had a positive experience with a psychologist where um, the she was a volunteer in hospital and she brought her dog around uh, once a week. And so how she described her job was like she played with kids with Barbie doll, dolls and like she'd be like, Barbie's angry today. What do you think like Barbie should do about it yeah. kind of thing? And I was like, Mother I want to do that. Yeah. And I remember saying, and this is so weird considering what my job is now, but like I remember saying, I want to help people who get diagnosed with cancer uh, psychologically and emotionally around um, the cancer diagnosis, around the diabetes diagnosis, around the scars. And I used to say that as a child. So specific. Yeah. And I was like, I want, I think there should be support and like around scars and around, um, because that was also a thing. And, I couldn't say I'm struggling with scars, but I could say I want to do that for other people in the future. Well, I think I suppose if you go through a traumatic experience and you're not yet able to immerse yourself and really face up to it, but sometimes you then flip and go, but I'm going to go and help someone yeah. else. And you know that's because you, you can't yet do it, but you want to help others. And I think, you know, hats <laughs> off to you. I mean, 11 to know that. It's almost exposed to too much too soon, but yeah. it, it's... It's amazing that then you turn it around. Because I guess some people come out of that experience just thinking, why me? And sinking into, you know, dark places. Well, it's funny because I did a degree in psychology. You ask anyone who does a psychology degree, there's always a reason behind it. Mm. And it's always like... I. There was a moment in second year, I was just like, every single person in this room is trying to fix and help themselves, Absolutely. but are too scared to say that. And so they're saying, I'm going to go help other, other people. people. Absolutely. Um, and I was like, I, I couldn't find a single one of my friends who didn't have some story why they want to be a psychologist. Didn't mean they talked about their own problems. It meant they were literally sitting in the lectures hoping that like something would come up that was relevant to them. Yeah. Um, Couldn't agree more. And like, with therapists as well, there's yeah. always yeah. I mean, that's an extension of. But my therapist often says to me, "That's what we're all here to do. We're all a little bit." And I don't use like to use the word broken, but she does, and she's we're all a little bit broken, yeah. and that's what we're trying to do and help other people. And I think that's spot on. Yeah. And you do. I mean, I've I've loved your page for a long time. I've said that I'm proper fangirling, aren't I? This, this episode, soz guys. Um, but I think you don't just. Do, I think you also put things out there that people don't want to say, and you kind of just have the balls to say. And I love that about you. So you will, you know, not necessarily things that are really controversial. Sometimes they are, but things that people want to think. So like the Victoria's Secret thing. Yeah. You know, that show was huge, and there's a, especially in the body, like the BOPO community, everybody's talking about it. Yeah. You know, is it okay? It's not okay. Why do we have to look like that? And you kind of just come in full force and you're like actually and and what what kind of why do you do that what gives you the balls to do it honestly I don't view it as controversial so much because the thing is when when you uh, initially start being controversial yeah like you're scared every time you post something but then the like level one controversial post (laughs) doesn't feel controversial anymore when you're doing like yeah yeah. and so to me that's like a 
level five, but that's so normal to me. Yeah. So we should so. just we should just explain. So the Victoria, if people haven't seen it, so the, it's what we're talking about is um, uh, it was in response to a Victoria. Was it one model or the Victoria's Secret model saying I've worked hard? For, we've worked hard for we've, our body. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I didn't think I was gonna get. I have a great audience and I never get the comments on my page of like, why are you attacking? Actually, no, that's wrong. On my Facebook page, which is less positive than my um, Instagram, they said, uh, one person did say, why are you attacking Victoria's Secret? Why can't you just post your inspirational posts? Um, but it was, it was. I can't remember how it was exactly phrased, but like it annoyed me so much I deleted it straight away <laughs> but it was phrased in the way that I am literally there to provide a service to yeah. be inspirational and I already ha- don't have the best relationship with the word inspirational yeah. and it was like I, I'm not like the fact that like you are so hurt by the fact that I'm attacking a company I'm not attacking an no. individual yeah. I never attack individuals um is the fact that there's so much attachment to these kind of companies yeah. and that's why I'm like that's your own stuff that's not about me but and I loved your point of you were basically saying I have worked hard for my body yeah and but also we shouldn't have to work hard for our bodies and those two messages can sit alongside each other kind of in the same way that like as a child and I think I mentioned this in the post as a child I thought I had to earn the right to life implicit in I've worked hard in my body is that messaging and because I've worked hard for my body the, the flip side of that messaging is Lazy fat people take their body for granted. Yeah, like it's kind of the messaging of um, when people say, "Oh, you've got one body, take care of it." Yeah, it's like, do you mean take care of yeah. it? Do you yeah. mean love it, or do you mean make sure it's thin? Yeah. Like, yeah. and that's where um, that's where I have a really big issue with that phrase. But the thing is, the funny thing about that, when I thought, because when I do go post something, I'm like, okay, what's the backlash I could get from posting this? The only thing I thought is someone was going to come in my comments and be like, why aren't you talking about the transphobic and fatphobic things that they said? And you're talking about some minuscule quote from two models. And I was like, honestly, it's just like in my head, I was like, honestly, that's been done. Everyone's talked about that. I care about this quote. I yeah. don't care how small it is. And so I'm going to go after this quote. Because that's what you're interested That's what you're yeah. passionate about. And that, yeah, and that link, it also links in with everything you talk about with being, um, you know, there is this equation. Equa- equation? Equ- equ- what's, it, what's the word? Equation. Equation. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying it. I know you looked at Lauren for clarification okay. on anything to do with grammar or... <laughs> she was like, yeah, let's not look at Jess. I don't know Jess, why Jess isn't going to know. Jess isn't going to know. Um, between... Uh, I've lost my train of thought here. Between being fat is unhealthy and actually people with a slimmer figure can be just as unhealthy oh, and actually sometimes going to the gym to a point where it's impacting all other areas of your life could be just as unhealthy relationship with your body yeah and I found that that was really impactful so in the post I do say like health is not an appearance and that's mm. what the thing I was trying to make a point around is the fact that like yes yes I have worked hard for my body but also it's a ridiculous concept to work hard for a body. But if you want to talk about workouts and how much you work out, I think the woman in a wheelchair works out 10 times more than anyone yeah, else absolutely. because you have to do so much rehab. You have to do so much. Like one of my exercises, I mentioned it in the post, was literally pe- pressing an elevator lift button without lifting my shoulders because I can't, um, for people who don't know, I can't really move my arms above my shoulders. And you'll see pictures of me like with my arms above my shoulders. But 
you won't know that I could literally hold it for two seconds and then like the photographer has to like cut and then go again because I get in pain so quickly and so like pressing an elevated lift button is hard work sometimes and doing it the right way is really hard work Um, and so those kind of exercises yeah they're painful but if you watched me in the gym doing these exercises I would look like I was moving I was look like I was being a statue but I was like no I'm focusing on lowering my shoulder blades doesn't mean I have to move to do it or like tensing my abs to make sure they engage like that is a hard enough task for me rather than doing a sit-up, but what yeah. the person doing a sit-up is more impressive. Yeah, 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 because that's what society recognises, isn't yeah. it, as that's effort, that's, you know, if you get to that, then you're you're absolutely smashing it. Yeah. And they don't, and I think it's also, it's not just physical, it's that mental labour that it takes to get you from A to B. You know that if you do something with your arms, you're going to be in pain, yeah. but you'll still do it. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's that kind of, well, what forces you to do that is, you know, psyching yourself up and probably with other things in your life that you know are going to be a bit more of a struggle. Yeah. It's a two-parter, isn't it? really but also I think uh, exercise classes create that mentality because let's say um I go to a dance class and I get shin splints really badly so sometimes I just don't they jump hurt. in they like yeah. so what bad. are they? they shin splints like well they just hurt you get it you get it if your tendon I believe attaches to your bone um, and so like it can't, it can't move properly so like anyway it's really dangerous if you have shin splints to carry on through the pain because you can actually break the bone um, so it's really important you don't jump on it so when it comes to the jumping part in a like dance class I I'll just step but a dance instructor will go like come on you can do it you can do it oh yeah I can do it do you want me to break my bone <laughs> yeah. like yeah. it's not about can I do it it's should I be doing it yeah. and that's the main thing and it's the thing of they think they know my body better than me or if you're fat the assumption that you're not doing it because you're lazy or you've given mm. up um, and I've just had that messaging so much in the gym um like, I remember I I used to have a personal trainer and he was late. So he said, like, one of the other personal trainers would just do the warm-up with me. For the warm-up, they wanted me to do um, a plank. And, like, I just went, like, I can't do a plank. And she was like, that's not the attitude. Oh, like, didn't you, we never say can't in the gym. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, I can't do a plank. And basically, this went on a really long time to the point that I got really annoyed, um, lifted up my top and went, I've had 15 surgeries. I can't. <laughs> And she was like, oh, I'm... And I was like, yeah, but the point is, there aren't many people who would do that like I did, only because it was like the 20th time it had happened to me. But if I was 15, I would have been like, oh, you're right, I can do it. it. I'll I'll do it, and then I'll be in physio the next day. And that was where I learned, like to also advocate for my body was actually the gym but because everything went so wrong and because no one was listening to me that that was the place I learned like before I learned to do it in a doctor's office I learned in the gym to be like no I can't do it it's not because I'm lazy you've seen also the worst thing is this woman who made the comment about like you can't like can't is a negative attitude she'd seen me work out because the gym is really small she'd seen me work out in that gym for three months she knew how hard Mm. I worked out in the gym except the fat stereotype overrides all of that yeah. and it's still a oh you've not got a pot of positive attitude and I was like screw positivity like I care about authenticity and like you treating each client 
as a unique client and not being like this is a blanket set of exercises. And Joe, you talk about you know using appropriate language. I think you know a lot of we had a previous podcast about um, fitness and exercise. You know, and I think it's the the language like the word results drives me mad because actually my concept of results physically is very different. But results almost implies this: you've got to look and be and be like this stereotype. And that's, yeah, that's that's your best you can ever look. Well, no, it's your individual best. And the lady we were talking to she was like she she it's very much about she's it's not aesthetically driven for her and it's absolutely not for me either it's all about mentally feeling better um but it's very interesting hearing you talking about it and people who don't you know they're not treating you as an individual and listening to your but also the implied assumption that everyone wants to work out for aesthetic yeah, reasons. Yeah. And to lose weight. I think and that's, they absolutely that's it. Don't. Everyone just assumes that, don't they? Yeah. And actually, you might just want to get fit. You might want to get stronger. You might want to gain weight. You might want yeah. to gain... There are so many reasons that's why people That's a good one. Grow. Yeah, so gain weight. And it's not yeah. always to lose weight to fit in a smaller dress. That's yeah. not what yeah. everybody's target is and what everyone's goal is. But mm. people don't get that. And it's frustrating. You've got amazing women like Bryony Gordon and Jade Sar who are, you know, running marathons. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit funny with well plus size I don't mind the term but it it can be a bit controversial but you know they are classed I guess in society as plus size women and they're running marathons Mm. and I know friends who are size 6, 8, 10 who wouldn't have that capacity I couldn't run a marathon but they couldn't but the assumption would be if you put us all in a lineup, people would assume the people who were smaller or more petite would be able to run and everybody else who was a size 14 plus absolutely not or have a healthier relationship with their body I mean I this is slightly digressing but the body positivity movement for me I found it very difficult to access because I'm a slim person I'm probably naturally about size six and but I have enormous shame with my body and enormous problems with my self-confidence but it's it feels like it's not for me because I am not plus size yeah even though I probably need to spend so much more time loving my body and I really don't but because society said well you look you tick this box of in, I, rationally yeah. I know I look okay emotionally I do not feel like I look okay at all and yeah it's, it's a very it's a it, we've digressed but you know I, I find that really difficult so I think the main thing with that is that a lot of people um again talking about language don't use the right language around mm. it so actually um a lot of what you're discussing is body confidence not body positivity yes. which are two separate things and so everyone so has body confidence or a lack of body confidence that's about their relationship with their own body and the reason why um there's an association with body positivity and fat women is because they're the more marginalized bodies but the thing is that when i talk about body positivity other people might disagree with me i talk about marginalized bodies i don't talk about fat bodies because a disabled person still doesn't have an access to the loo most places um trans rights, all those kind of things, I believe that fits within body positivity and we aren't talking about all of that stuff enough. So true. Um, And so if you live in a marginalised body and that could be a non-binary body, that could be a trans body, that could be a dark-skinned black woman, all of those bodies are marginalised by societies and that deserves a place in body positivity and it's not just about weight. And this focus on weight means that we very much get um, distracted by... uh, the health conversations. So you talk about body positivity, the first person who wants to interject, the first person in the Q&A at any event, what about health? And it's like, well, 
first of all, you're not actually talking about what this panel is about. You're not actually talking about what this event is intended for. You're talking about one aspect, one marginalised group in a whole community. And that's where I have the issue is because we're not moving the conversation on to let's talk about um, ableism, let's talk about racism. We're moving the conversation on to health. And I'm like, yeah. but health doesn't belong in body positivity. No, no. And it's this weird thing where, like, I, I do a lot of press interviews and, like, journalists will be like, so are you, do you consider yourself healthy? And what they mean, because I'm fully dressed, because they don't see my scars, what they mean is, is your weight healthy, actually? Yeah. That's the disguised question. And I find that such me. an insulting question, especially for someone who's had the journey you've had with your health. Like, how But that's why it's ironic. Yeah. Like, how can you ask someone who's literally the first introduction, I told you I had 15 <laughs> surgeries, and 10 minutes later, you want to talk about my weight, but you find it too rude to ask or mention the word fat. So instead, you ask about my health. And I'm like, didn't I not answer that question so 10 minutes ago? And Jess, we found a, on your Instagram a, a quote, didn't we, about the wellness industry. And essentially it's about, I think I mean, you'll probably remember it better than I. What, the one about, the, it's about fear of death and love yeah. of money. Exactly. It's <laughs> That's actually on. from my podcast. Oh, uh, yeah, it was, some, so, I, so uh, I have a co-host on my podcast. I said fear of death and my co-host said love of money. Mm, um, I love it. So... I believe it's about fear. So love of money is quite obvious. Um, The fear of death part is because there is this superiority around um, thinking you're better than anyone who's unhealthy, but also controlling your longevity. Because how many times do you hear people say, like, if you drink so-and-so, you can add 10 years onto your life? That's not how life works. People just randomly die at 10 years old, 30 years old, and they've not done anything to cause it. And that's another question I get asked a lot is like, well, what caused your brain tumour? What caused all these surgeries? There was no cause. I just got unlucky with my health. And that happens a lot, but we don't talk about it. Um, And instead, what we talk about is the fact that we can control our health and that health actually, in many conversations, is code for diet and um, exercise. And those are only two aspects of health. Um, And so I think it's about fear of death is because like, if you truly believe, and I think a lot of people in the wellness industry too, that you tick all of these like wellness boxes, like you go to the gym enough, you drink enough green juices and all of that stuff, you can literally make yourself immune from death because mortality is scary. And that is the way that I believe, like I think what is unconscious, the unconscious fear and underneath a lot of things and it's funny because I literally had someone this morning on my page say that if you drank as like people think I'm joking when I say people come onto my page and say like you can fix all your health problems you wouldn't have all your health problems if you drank green juices people thought I was being metaphorical I literally screenshotted and put a comment on my page today saying if you drink celery juice every morning you wouldn't have your health problems No, you just probably have the runs. You'd have diarrhea. <laughs> yeah. You probably just have the runs. Yeah, I also green. hate it. Like, yeah. I don't want to drink celery juice. I think it's really hard and you make such a good point because I think it, it, health is something also some people can't control and so things will happen to people that you can't mm. explain and it 
when there's no logical reason, people get all kind of... Well, reasons, yeah. Don't when, they, you, yeah. when there's no logical reason, it's been shown, your brain literally fills in a gap. So it yeah. finishes the story. Like, it, like it's an endless loop, and so it fills in the rest of the loop um, in order to, like, have closure on the issue. So let's say... This, can, this probably happens quite a lot. Like, let's say your dad dies, and then you're like, why has this happened? Why is, like, and then you can fuel it into wellness, because it's like... And a lot of people are like, well, they're not related, or oh, well, the gym was a great place to, like, run off the steam of the, of the grief and everything. But I'm like, well, no, is it coincidence that, like, a death happened and then you got really scared of your own death or the fact that a fat woman existing reminds you of your own mortality? Like, that literally is... Because they're like, oh, no, that's what we've been told means you're going to die young. So literally a fat woman becomes this embodiment of, like, an early death, yeah, even yeah, though yeah. that's, like... Where's that come from? That's your issue, not theirs. Let the fat woman exist happily, please. Amen to that. I'm all for the fat lady existing like me. Um, you just, I could list, literally talk to you all day, um, but I really would love to round off with your three pearls of wisdom or the three things you really wish you had known. Um, so the first thing is that if you're younger, if someone's an adult in your life, doesn't necessarily mean they're right. There was so many... And I'm not going to let my daughter hear that. <laughs> it's it's because so many adults in my life body shamed me when I was younger and I thought because they were the adult they knew better that they were right or their opinion on my body was right which brings me on to the second one the second one is that you are the expert in your own body so if you feel something and you feel something off especially believe in yourself and literally keep going to different doctors or different parents or different people in general um until someone listens to you because your fe- like what you're feeling is you're the only person who can describe it and a lot of people get really angry when I say that because they're like well you're not the expert the doctor is the expert I'm like the doctor isn't the expert in your own body they might be an expert in being a doctor but you're the only person who can experience what it feels like to be in your body and you know you're normal and you know when something's off I say that for mental health as well yeah but all I was going to say time. we've spoken about it before I say it all the time and say like, you're sadly you have to be the one who knows what your normal is and you've got to go in and say this is what's normal for me this is what's happening and make people listen to you because we're all different and we've all got different frames of reference and what is normal for one person won't be for the other person but you've got to tell them that this is not normal and physical and mental health so I completely agree yeah and so the third one is that you don't need to change your body in any way in order to actually achieve your goals and your dreams. And if you're having a really difficult time with your body right now, focus on another area of your life because thinking about your body more isn't going to solve any insecurity. So even if you're insecure about your body, if you create a great, um, I don't know, you're, you're, you feel better in your career and you work towards career-based goals, that can really help to build confidence in that area because confidence is context-dependent and you can bring that confidence from one area in your life and know that you've got a section in your life that you're really happy with and then you can move that over into your body confidence. That's so true. I was listening to a... um a podcast called Beautiful Anonymous and there was a lady on there um, and she was talking, she'd had an enormous weight loss and she was talking about actually she had blamed her weight for all of her problems her entire life and what she realised and her kind of pearl of wisdom to everybody else was the problems are still there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. focus on those. Yeah. But you know why the body is an excuse? Because if you said like, oh, well, it's lack of money, you, have, you can make money quite easily. If you said it's your body... 
it takes what? Like, let's say you have a large weight loss, like six months. Yeah. That's six months before you actually have to be, like, actually have to face the fear of achieving any of the goals that you're too scared of. Yeah. So the most immovable goal that you, the most immovable excuse, sorry, um, you can put is your body. Because yeah. you can be like, I don't have to worry about going on a date because a date is too scary because I'm too fat to go on a date. So let's just not do that. Yeah. Let's just not go for the job we want because like the job interview is too scary. So fine, like, no, I'm too ugly to do that job as well. Like, that yeah. is what people it's do. It's our go-to blame, yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. And Thanks like, what we want to do... Um, is because I think this has been really great and a lot of our, hopefully a lot of our listeners will really connect. So where, we know you've got a book. What's the book? The book is called Am I Ugly? Um, and I'm available. Scared, not Scared. Oh, um, it's available on Amazon. WH Smith, Waterstones. All we'll good put a link. Stores. We'll put a link. And <laughs> <laughs> available on all good bookstores. And... And also uh, on Instagram, it's Scar, Scar Not, not scared. scared. Um I'm on Scar Not Scared or Michelle Elman on most places. YouTube, it's Michelle Elman. Facebook, it's Michelle Elman. Scar Not Scared on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> um, and I've got a podcast. Let me talk. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. So that is all we've got time for for this episode. Thank you again so much for listening to the What I Wish I'd Known podcast. It's a shameless plug, but we're going to do it every week. Please rate, review and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from because it so helps us. And um, you guys have been brilliant, actually. And we're so thankful for everybody who has done this already. But please keep doing it. Tell your friends as well. And if you have any comments, feedback or any questions, then you can contact us via our website, which is whatiwishihadknown.co.uk. And yeah, we will see you next week, won't we? We will. Bye. Bye. Bye.